the word Holodomor is a Ukrainian term for death by starvation, Holodomor. And so for Ukrainians, what happened in the winter of 1932 and spring and summer of 1933 was a mass starvation, often referred to as the Great Ukrainian Famine. Welcome to Spionpodden. Hello. Good morning. Or you good afternoon? I don't know. <laughs> What shall I say? That's right. <laughs> Good morning here. <laughs> yeah, okay. Hello and welcome to uh, Spionpodden, another episode. We're going to be actually talking about a very, very special uh, person who who uh, was a journalist in the 30s. And to my help, I have professor of journalism at the University of Maryland, Mr. Ray Gamache, or Gamash. Uh, thank you. Is it Usually Gam- I pronounce it uh, G- Gamash. Gamash, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gamache would be maybe maybe too French. Uh, <laughs> it, it is French. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen, um, you have written a, a very interesting book about Gareth Jones, and he was the eye. It's called Eyewitness to the Holodomor. Please tell me a little bit about that book, and or actually, why don't you start by telling me who 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 was Gareth Jones? So Gareth Jones. Uh, was a Welsh journalist uh, who grew up in Aberystwyth, where both his mom and dad uh, were teachers. Uh Uh, So education was a real foundation uh, for him. And you see that in all of his correspondence, he he wrote regularly every Sunday, if possible, to his family if he was away. Okay. And so we have this tremendous archive of of records. I mean, the family was prescient enough to uh, keep all of his letters, and it, and they eventually came across all of his notebooks or notebook diaries as as they're called, uh, which included really the the meat, the substance of so many of his interviews, uh, where he traveled, to whom he met with. And, and because of that record, we've been able to really uh, unpack a lot of, of what he was attempting to do uh, as he reported on some of the major events of the 20th century yeah and so uh his timing was was really something um and that that certainly helped in preparing to write the book and then actually uh sitting there and doing it yeah but but what's the, the book about i wanted to focus because uh his family had published a biography of him, as well as a second book um, 
in terms of, of how he died. So there were already two publications uh, about him. I wanted to focus on his reporting, and I, I focus only on his reporting regarding the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, and, and put that in, in, in context of who he was, you know, who he worked for, and how he came to, to do this reporting, which proved to be some of the most important, you know, again, of the 20th century. In short, can you, can you tell me, what, 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 because it's, it's actually a, a terrible, horrific story, which is quite unknown to, to most uh, people today, and even back when it when it occurred in the in the 30s uh, but can you please just tell me what, what it what it was the, the big starvation so yeah the word holodomor yeah. which uh, is in the title uh, is a ukrainian term for death by starvation okay holodomor and so for ukrainians what happened in 1932, the winter of 1932 and spring and summer of 1933 was a mass starvation, often referred to as the Great Ukrainian Famine, mm -hmm. in which... And famine means star starvation to death, right? Or, or... Yes, yeah. uh, you know, famine... And, and I want to speak to that because usually we associate famine with an act of God, right? Okay. Where drought uh, has ruined the crop, where there are, you know, where there is no crop, there is no available food. And and so I, I lately I have really tried to differentiate between what is a, a you know a natural occurrence a, a flood you know mm -hmm. or a, a famine and distinguish that from what happened in terms of, of really uh, forced mass starvation so uh holodomor that's what it means but 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 here there were food but they were just not allowed to use it right Well, uh, there, the there was certainly food. The, the Soviets exported yeah. more than a million tons of, of grain. Yeah, it, it, And there was a worldwide glut of grain. So it, it wasn't like there, there was no food available, just as no. you said. Food was available, but... Ukrainians could not travel to try and find food. In January of 1933, Stalin enacted a secret decree whereby, you know, peasants were to be returned to their villages where they would, where they would die. So that's the horrific nature of what we're talking about in, in terms of, you know, Jones, Uh, and, and so the question is, how did he get to be an eyewitness uh, to what happened? And, and that is the, uh, the subject of, of a, a lot of what, what happened. Um, 
1933 in January, right, when Hitler becomes chancellor, Mm -hmm. uh, Jones sets off on this journey across Germany and then into the Soviet Union over a two-month period in February and in March of 1933. And in February, he actually meets Hitler, travels with Hitler to a Nazi rally uh, and reports on, on that. And then the following month, he travels to Moscow and then travels to Kharkiv. And on his way there, he gets off the train, walks 40 kilometers uh, through the countryside, through collective farms and villages where he sees exactly how bad conditions are. And people tell him as well. He's able to travel unaccompanied because he speaks the language. But who sent him to begin with? Was he working for the the, the government? Was he a, a surveillance uh, officer? No, he was a- actually he he was employed by the former prime minister of Great Britain, David Lloyd George, a, another Welshman, and uh, Jones worked for him on several occasions. The first time after he graduated from Cambridge University uh, in 1930. He joins uh, Lloyd George's staff. And then when he returns to Great Britain after a stint in the U.S. working for a public relations magnet by the name of Ivy Ledbetter Lee, Jones then returned to working for David Lloyd George uh, in, in late 1932 and then into the early part of 1933. Uh, he writes both the articles, you know, about Germany and Nazism, and then about the Bolsheviks in, in the Soviet Union for the Western Mail and uh, for the Financial News, two newspapers in, in Great Britain. Okay. And he ended up working full time, becoming a full time correspondent. Uh, for the Western Mail, which is located in Cardiff in in southern Wales. But he had a diplomatic visa, from what I understood. Yes, yes. He he acquired that after contacting the Soviet ambassador to Great Britain. Ivan Maisky. Who meets with him. Yes. (laughs) Who who meets with him and and, uh, makes sure that he, he has that diplomatic visa and that, you know, he will be put in touch with the, the people he wants to to meet. And so everything is really uh, arranged for him in Moscow. What they weren't expecting was for him to take that uh, side trip through the Ukrainian countryside where he, he met peasants uh, and they revealed to him that there was no bread, that they they had almost nothing to eat, and that many had already starved to death. And how many, if I can be so blunt, how many did die from famine? Uh, Estimates by demographers uh, put the, the number of fatalities at 
at roughly four million in Ukraine alone. In U- of of Ukraine, wow. yes. That's a- yeah, yeah. So so the Russians, uh, Soviets, they thought that um, he was going there to write some sort of a nice article about. Uh, the Soviet Union, and and uh, they find out that he was actually doing the the, the opposite. Um, what happened then? Did the KGB uh, or whatever? What was the the KGB? What was the the predecessors predecessors of of KGB? Yes, the the OGPU or the GPU, okay, as it's often re- referred to. There's been a lot of different uh, police agencies through time in Soviet Union and Russia. But for this episode, I, I'm just going to help you a little bit. The first one was called Cheka, which existed between 1917 and 1922. And then between that was the GPU. And then 1923 to 1934 was the OGPU, which is very central in this episode. They were... Uh, followed by the NKVD, and and then of course the most famous one is KGB, but that was not until 1954. There's an interesting anecdote that Jones tells in one of the newspaper articles about his so-called near arrest. As he was as he was passing through uh, one of the railway stations on on the way uh, to Kharkiv, uh, he was he was accosted uh, by police, and uh, it, he 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 thought he was going to be arrested, but he he may you know he showed them his passport. He he really insisted that he was part of. Uh, the German, a guest of the German consulate, which he was, and they dropped him there uh, in Kharkiv, okay. kind of bringing his his uh, trek through the countryside to to an end, uh, because they were expecting him there, as were the the Soviet uh, press department uh, liaison in Kharkiv, uh, whom Jones. Uh, leftist calling card made a visit of the Kharkiv tractor factory uh, and and then went back to Moscow. How did Jones do his um, journey through Ukraine? He was he was walking. He had brought uh, some supplies in a rucksack and got off the train at at one station along the border and followed the railway tracks mm-hmm. until he came across villages, uh, farms, collective farms. And uh, because he knew the language, he could go right up to people and, and start asking questions. So he was one of the few reporters who, who could do that because he knew the language. I mean, that was such an advantage uh, for him uh, because it put him into direct contact with ordinary people and, and how long did that uh, walk take well that's a that's a really good question as you follow uh his his diary 
he left Moscow on March 10th and 1933. March yeah, 10th, 1933. Yes. Uh, he he actually gets off of the train on the 11th and spends, I believe, two or three nights uh, camping through the countryside before he was taken to, to Kharkiv. Kharkiv is in the northeast of the country and is the largest city in Ukraine. The city was founded in 1654 and was the first capital of Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic from December 1919 to January 1934, after the capital relocated to Kiev. And how did he come up with the with the idea of of, uh, of jumping off the train? And, and I, I believe he got off at at you know just an ordinary station that would have taken on uh, you know passengers, and and some got off. Uh, you know he he could have stayed on the train, but decided that he wanted to get off, and so. It, it didn't require any anybody's approval. <laughs> Certainly, that no. that's part of the, the 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 interesting story that we have here. But something must have uh, sort of caught his attention, don't you think? No, I think it was his plan all along. Okay. Because in in several letters he mentioned because he had he had worked uh, with. With the been in contact with the German consulate, that they knew he was coming, and so he had every intention of going down to to Kharkiv. But I believe that before he got there, he wanted he wanted to see what was going on in the countryside on the collective farms for himself, and and it was a strategic uh, move on his part. Uh, to be able to do that, yeah, because if you if you look at the the movie Mr. Jones, which came out last year, um, or maybe it was this year, but if you look at that, he he has a suspicion on, or he really wants to find out how does Stalin get all his money. Nineteen thirty three was it was not the biggest year in terms of, of exporting grain. Okay. That occurred after they had a very good harvest in in nineteen thirty. Uh, the harvests in 1931 and then in 32 were were not very good, and they still exported uh, in each of those years more than a million, you know, tons of grain. And so that's you know, but but you also have to re- remember that grain prices at that time were at an all-time low. And part of what happens in the summer of 1933 is uh, most nations sign this wheat agreement. And part of the wheat agreement is to cut back on production because there was so much grain that, you know, the price was falling precipitously. Okay. According to your your quite recent paper on Ukrainian resistance to FDR's recognition of the USSR, which means Roosevelt, 
Um, Jones wrote an article about uh, OGP's um, terror in Russia and, and mm-hmm. pointed towards their, uh, the leader, Genrik uh, Jagoda. I read from Wikipedia. Genrik Grigorievich Jagoda was a Soviet secret police official who rapidly rose through the ranks of the Cheka, the first secret police of Russia founded 1917. He later went into the OGPU. Jagoda supervised the deportations, confiscations, mass arrests and executions that accompanied the forced collectivizations and was one of the people responsible for the Ukrainian Holodomor. Jagoda himself ultimately became a victim of Stalin's purge and was arrested in 1937. Following his confession at the trial, Jagoda was found guilty and shot. They must have been quite uh, scared about, of him. I don't believe Jones was. No, 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 no. The 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 OGPU must have been. Very... Yeah, the people, the people, yeah. absolutely. And there, there, you see it in his reporting. You see it in the diaries. You see people saying, "Please don't, don't, don't quote me." Mm. You know, this will come back to haunt me. And so, unquestionably. Uh, there was a sense uh, of terror in terms of, of the, the power that that the that the Bolsheviks had uh, in the in the police. But what do you think the police had uh, on Jones? What, what do you think they were doing while he was working and sending his diary or or his reports? They were trying to curry his favor. They hoped that he would put out the message that that you know the soviets were making progress in the socialization of agriculture which was uh really the aim of the the end of the first five-year plan and the beginning of the the second five-year plan the the successful socialization of of factory work had had been completed and and jones recognized some of the the accomplishments uh of the soviets and so they thought he could be fair in his presentation of what was happening you know in the soviet union and and so they wanted him uh to you know to write and to to see things uh, and to speak with the you know the most important people, he never interviewed Stalin, but um, he still interviewed uh, several people high up in in the Communist Party. And you know some of the articles show you know when the Soviets were were making progress, but in terms of agriculture, it was a tremendous. A disaster in 31 and again the harvest of 32 was not very good and then the measures that they took uh, to extract all the grain resulted in mass starvation and four million ukrainians dead but, but it, i read somewhere that it was seven million but maybe i'm wrong 
those other, I, I mean, I go by research that has been published in, in scholarly journals. And for the most part, the, the number that you see is between four million and four and a half million. Other estimates, you know, uh, again, it depends on the model being used. But the, the idea of that many people starving to, to death is, uh, it's mind boggling. You were talking a little bit about uh, the police and the Soviets, and, and they were hoping that uh, Gareth Jones would do some disinformation. Um, but they did have another person, uh, Walter Duranty, the American journalist, who was doing a, a very good job for the Russians or the Soviets regarding disinformation. What, what do you have to say about him? Yeah, they, they knew they could depend on, on Duranty. I mean, Duranty was, was based in Moscow, Uh, he was he was one of the most veteran, you know, Western correspondents. He had started out very anti-Bolshevik, uh, especially in his coverage of uh, of the the Civil War, uh, and he was criticized for that. Uh, criticized then, after he really became more supportive of, of what the Soviets were attempting uh, as as we went through the 20s and toward the end of the, the 20s with the beginning of the, the five-year plan. By that point, Durante was, was uh, pretty much pro-Soviet to the point where the New York Times really had to consider whether or not to, to keep him in that position. But then, lo and behold, he... he won a Pulitzer Prize in, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in, for his reporting in 1931. Uh, it was the 1932 uh, Pulitzer Award for Correspondence. And so it's Durante who responds directly to Jones's announcement when he returns from his visit to the Soviet Union that people were starving to death. Dur Durante uh, publishes an article On the, on the very same day uh, that Jones publishes his first article and uh, calling it, you know, a hoax, uh, saying that there is no, there is no famine, uh, and Jones is, is launching a big scare story, as Durante called it. And so the, the fact that Durante called out Jones by name uh, really for me, crystallized what was going on here uh, and gives it a dramatic center point when this really starts. Uh, and it launched a controversy, really, that we've been dealing with ever since because you had one person, one journalist saying, you know, I have seen, uh, you know, mass starvation, people starving to death By the, by the millions, and uh, another journalist standing there and saying, no, uh, that's not true. That's, you know, that's fake news. And uh, when we consider that in, you know, the context of what goes on today, uh, you can see that, that what we're dealing with, they dealt with uh, 80 years ago. Even Putin today is uh, saying that this was uh, fake news. And but but let me ask you. It, I'm so I get so curious about um, that Walter Durante. You say uh, 
um, publishes an article the same day as Gareth Jones, and it's a it's a complete polarization of of, of the about the famine reporting. Mm-hmm. Why do you think Duranty uh, wanted to write about? Why was he blinded or, or with this and wrote about the, the fake news? Oh, well, for one thing, he was certainly in favor uh, of the United States recognizing the Soviet Union, yeah. which was one of the first and most important challenges that FDR wanted to uh, see through. President Roosevelt wanted to uh, get that passed. And in the summer of 1932, he actually speaks with uh, Durante, who uh, about uh, whether or not the Soviets were being uh, able to, to make their credit payments, whether or not they had enough gold reserve that their that their uh, financial situation w- was stable enough that they could uh, actually, you know, do some trade. Because Roosevelt felt that uh, by recognizing the Soviet Union, it would it would generate and open up markets for American producers, and and with the extension of of credits, uh, there was the belief that the Soviet Union could be a a huge uh, customer and generate tremendous amounts of trade. And that was the that was the idea behind let's recognize the Soviet Union formal recognition, which had ended once the Bolsheviks took power from Kerensky. What's what's kind of interesting from an American point of view is that uh, when when there, the first phase of the the Russian Revolution, when Kerensky had the provisional government, the U.S. actually recognized them. But when the Bolsheviks took power, yeah, that ended, and there was no longer recognition, formal rec- diplomatic recognition by the United States of uh, the Soviet Union. And it had continued that way from 1918 until November 1933. Quite unusual at that time for two major countries not to have, you know, diplomatic recognition. Okay, so so what you're saying is four million people die. The the whole thing with Durante and Roosevelt, it it was all about... um, and that's why they they put the blind eye on on that uh, so many people were starving to death in Ukraine was because they wanted to do more business between the Americans and the Soviets. Yes, yeah. I mean that's that's certainly a part of it. It's it's not the 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 entire no, no, the no, entirety no. of no. it, but it's certainly. I mean, you you know, to suggest that it was not, I think, is 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 tenuous at best. Okay, I'm going to read a few sections from uh, Ray Gamache's book, Gareth Jones, Eyewitness to the Holodomor. What is most remarkable about the diaries of the 1933 trip was Jones's focus on famine conditions in Ukraine, where he visited numerous villages before being transported by secret police to Kharkov. 
The pocket diaries clearly reveal that his intention was to prove that famine was raging in the countryside. I had narrowly escaped being arrested myself not long before at a small railway station in the Ukraine where I entered into conversation with some peasants. These were bewailing their hunger to me and were gathering a crowd, all murmuring, there is no bread. The group that made the last and deepest impression on Jones was the homeless children, the Buds Prasorni, a term originally used to describe orphans of the civil war. With the foulest of rags and the most depraved of faces, they hover about. They wander about the streets of the towns. I have seen some being captured by the police and taken away. As families broke apart, women and children of exiled husbands, fathers, were left to fend for themselves in terrible conditions, the children becoming separated from parents. Jones ended this article at the Kharkov train station where he saw 300 homeless children waiting to be taken away. Jones stole a look at them through a window as if he were looking behind the curtain of a scene not intended for public inspection. Seeing these children yet being powerless to alleviate their suffering added to the emotional impact. I peeped through the window. One of them near the window lay on the floor. His face red with fever and breathing heavily, with his mouth open. Typhus, said another man who was looking at them. Another lay in rags stretched on the ground, with parts of his body uncovered, revealing dried up flesh and thin arms. I turned away and entered the train for Moscow. In the corridor stood a little girl. She was well dressed, her cheeks were rosy, she held a toy in one hand and a piece of cake in the other. She was probably the daughter of a Communist Party member or of an engineer. These children are not the relics of the Civil War. They are the homeless children of hunger. Most of them turned out from their homes to fend for themselves because the peasants have no bread. The train rolled on to Moscow. This was the end of part one of the interview with Ray Gamash and on his book Gareth Jones, Eyewitness to the Holodomor. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook, Spionpodden, or at Instagram, Spion.podden, where I will post some quite disturbing pictures from Gareth Jones's work of the Holodomor, but also some other things to watch and read. Until next time, bye-bye.